thing. Because sometimes too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. And when a good thing in your life, I'm going to say this, all right? When a good thing in your life becomes a God thing in your life, then that good thing is a bad thing. You say, what were you just trying to say? There are moments where we take good things, things that are healthy, things that are there for our benefit, and when those good things become a God thing, they take the place of God in our life, then that good thing in that moment becomes a very bad thing. The Bible refers to this phenomenon of a good thing becoming a bad thing, and it's called idolatry. Anytime that you and I take good things in our life and we elevate them to a position of God, little G-O-D, that is called idolatry and that is what we're going to be studying today from Exodus chapter number 20. And so this is of course for those of you who are familiar with church world, we are now studying the Ten Commandments and we talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to keep diving into it this week. And so I'm going to ask if I can, Kaylin and Margarita Keller Halls to come. They're going to read our text this morning starting in Exodus chapter number 20 verse number 1. We're going to read through verse number 6 and then Kaylin, why don't you lead us in a word of prayer and ask God to bless the service this morning. Good morning, church. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. All right, let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for... Uh, this church, God, that we can come and worship in today, God. I just pray that as the word of God is brought unto us this morning, Lord, that you would give us all hearts to receive the message, Lord. And uh, Father, if there's areas in our life that we could apply this to this week, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to remind us of those principles, Lord. Pray that you would help us all to apply them the best that we can, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And uh, we just ask that you would give us a blessed day. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. These Ten Commandments are broken up into two sections. Uh, commandment from Commandment 1 to Commandment 4 have to do with our relationship to God, and Commandments number 5 through Commandments number 10 have to do with our relationship to one another. And so that's a little bit of how we're going to parse this out as we continue to move through our study on the Ten Commandments. And so let's focus, first of all, on Commandment number 1. All right, Commandment number 1. We're going to be in Exodus chapter number 20. It's verse number 3 where the Bible says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. When one disobeys this commandment, it is referred to as idolatry. If you want to make a note, idolatry is the concept. When this, when this commandment gets broken, it's called idolatry. I want to give you a definition of this in just a moment. Idolatry is simply this. It's the worship of idols. It's or, okay, so that's where we tend to think about idolatry, people bowing down, you know, before statues and, and things like that. However, as you continue the definition, it can also be immoderate and an unhealthy attachment 
to something or someone or extreme devotion, love, and reference for something or someone. You see, oftentimes when we think about, man, worshiping another god, when we think about this concept of idolatry, we tend to think about some pagan people in some third world country with witch doctors and statues, and they're bowing down before these statues, and that's where our mind goes when we think about worshiping other gods, when we think about reverencing another deity, and yet as you really study this concept of idolatry, both in the scriptures, but also also just in a functional way you find that it is possible to commit idolatry without bowing down before an idol the Bible talks about much of the idolatry that happens in our world is idolatry of the heart when we have an immoderate and unhealthy attachment to something or someone when we have an extreme devotion or extreme love or extreme reverence for something or someone above the true and living God. This is known as idolatry. Let me give you a practical definition. Idolatry is anything you desire that you believe will give you what in reality only God can give you. This is a functional working definition. So if there is someone in your life and you are looking to that person in your life to give you what only God can give you, you're committing idolatry with that person. When you are looking to something in your life, some possession, to give you what only God is supposed to give you, and you're desiring that, and you're wanting that, that is idolatry. You say, what is it that God gives us? If we, look, if we look to something or someone to give us a sense of ultimate satisfaction, so sometimes this can happen in our relationships. We look to another person to give us ultimate satisfaction. But can I remind you of something? It is God that provides ultimate satisfaction. And if you are looking to another human being to give you a sense of ultimate satisfaction, the Bible says this is idolatry. This is you putting worshiping another god it's you committing idolatry when you are looking to the creation rather than the creator to be your source of satisfaction other times we do this in our sense for security do you realize that it is god and god alone that should be our source of security in life but when we look to things like our 401k or our savings account or our checking account to give us an ultimate source of security. To make, if that's what we look to. That's what we focus on to make us feel safe. And, and we look to that more than we look to God for our safety and our security. The Bible calls that idolatry. In some sense, it is us worship, worshiping. It's us ascribing worth and value to our 401k or our savings account above God because we are looking to that thing to give us security rather than looking ultimately to God. See, when we talk about worshiping other gods, we tend to just think about idols. We tend to just think about, you know, graven images. And yet the Bible shows us that it's more than just that. You say, how do you know? Because if you go to the second commandment, notice what it says here, chapter number 20. It says in verse 4, this is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So we see the first commandment and the second commandment. The second commandment is showing us that idolatry can happen with idols, with carved images that we worship and bow down before. And this is what happened in many ancient pagan civilizations. But the first commandment shows us that idolatry can actually happen in the heart. That we can worship other little G-O-D gods. How many of you notice where it says, when it says thou shalt have no other gods, it's not a capital G. It's a lowercase g. Why? Because there are many things that we put in the place of God in our lives. And so that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. In fact, this topic of idolatry is mentioned over 1,000 times in the scripture. This is a really, really big deal. And so here's our theme. If you want to just take one quick note, if you want to kind of capture this entire idea into one statement, it's simply this. If you actually understand and obey this first commandment, the other nine will happen almost naturally. This is how big of a deal this one is. If you really understand what we're talking about today, if you really grasp it intellectually and emotionally and spiritually, if you really lean in and allow God's grace to give you a heart of obedience toward it, I'm I'm telling you, the other nine commandments, it's almost like you don't even have to worry about them. They'll just start happening naturally. They will flow out of a life of someone who is fixated on God, that has allowed God to be their ultimate source of satisfaction, their ultimate source of security, their ultimate source of significance. When they get this command right, the other ones are like dominoes. They just kind of fall into place. So I want you to see this today, and I want to ask you this question. Is there something other than God that you crave For ultimate satisfaction, security, and significance. One of the reasons why people begin to struggle with addiction in their life, and we could talk about a whole plethora of different addictions that exist in our world today. One of the reasons addiction exists is because people come to a place where they are looking to something other than God to satisfy. They're looking to something other than God to make them feel comfortable. They're looking to something other than God to make them feel safe, to make them feel significant. And when we get to a place where we are looking to something other than the divine, when we are looking to something other than our creator to give us ultimate security and ultimate satisfaction and ultimate significance, in that moment, we're committing idolatry and we are now placing other little G-O-D gods in place of the big G-O-D, God. All right, I know this is a a big concept, but it's important that we wrestle with it. So this morning, we're gonna look at two aspects, two aspects of modern day idolatry uh, from these first two commandments. And, and And how this modern idolatry actually might be keeping you and keeping me from experiencing real joy and real peace and real satisfaction that our soul is longing for. Every one of you want to experience joy. Every one of us want to experience peace. And do you realize that when we are committing idolatry, when we are placing something in higher priority over God, we are literally robbing ourselves from the potential of experiencing peace and experiencing joy and experiencing love. And so these commandments are not something that God is trying to get from you. These These are things he has for you. 
Because he loves you and he wants you to experience joy and he wants you to be happy and he wants you to experience love and peace in your life. And so he gives us this, not to hurt us, but to help us, all right? So let's just dive right in today. We're gonna start in verse number two. Notice what it says. The Bible says in verse number two of uh, chapter number 20, the Bible says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Uh, some translations say out of slavery. You see, what God is saying is he says, he's saying, I'm the true and living God. I'm the Lord. That word Lord literally means the one in control, the one who is sovereign, the master of all. And he's saying, I'm the one that gives freedom. That's what he's saying here to the Israelites, these children of Israel. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. I'm the one that gave you freedom. I'm the one that gave you liberty. I'm the one that gave you life and life more abundantly. That's my role. That is what I provide. That's what I give. And God's trying to remind the children of Israel, that's what I make available. When you follow in my path, you will have freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so often we look to a thousand things smaller than God's will to give us freedom. To give us a sense of liberty. To give us a sense that we are experiencing all that life has to offer. In fact, in Numbers chapter number 27, Moses, the same Moses that we've been learning about in the book of Exodus, Moses calls God this in, in Numbers chapter number 27. He says, God is the source of all life. He's not just talking about the fact that he breathed life and now we're walking, living, breathing beings. He's talking about this life that he makes available to us, the life that we live on a daily basis. God is the source of that life. The New Testament says that it is God that gives life and life more abundantly. And so we see God alone is the source of all life. Notice what it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. He's telling the children of Israel, hey, I'm the one that provides true freedom. I'm the one who gives you liberty. You can look to a hundred things other than me to try to get a sense of liberty, try to get a sense of freedom, try to capture the life that you want to live. And God's saying, you know what? Ultimately, the only place that you'll find all that liberty and all that freedom is in me. Which leads us to our first thought. If you're taking notes, jot this down. God alone is the source of life and freedom. God alone is the source of life and freedom. That's what he's telling the children of Israel here in verse number two. God alone is the source of life and freedom. John chapter number 10, verse 10 says it this way. I am come. This is Jesus talking. The manifestation of God in the flesh. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. There was a theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis in the mid-20th century, and, and this is how he said it when talking about this concept. He said, don't let your happiness and satisfaction depend on something that you can lose. Let me say that one more time because I think it's worth repeating. Don't let your happiness and satisfaction be anchored to something that you can lose. If your, if your focus for ultimate happiness and satisfaction 
is anchored to what's in your bank account, nothing intrinsically wrong with having money in a bank account, but if that is where your heart, if that's what anchors your sense of happiness and satisfaction is what's in a bank account, the moment that's gone, then you lose your happiness, you lose your satisfaction. So as believers, we want to anchor our satisfaction, we want to anchor our happiness to something that transcends anything in the physical realm. If we are finding ourselves anchoring our source of satisfaction and happiness in a relationship, and that is our ultimate source of satisfaction, our ultimate source of fulfillment is found in a relationship, praise God for wonderful relationships. Relationships are God-given. But can I say this? It is possible to get to a place where you are elevating that relationship, even with a spouse or a child, above God. And now you are looking to them to behave in certain ways and act in certain ways and talk in certain ways for you to be okay. For you to be at peace. The moment you do that and you are looking at somebody in your life having to act a certain way for you to be at peace and for you to have happiness and for you to have joy, you have just elevated that person. You have said, that person, I'm demanding that they give me what only God can ultimately give me. That's idolatry. And God says you should have no other little G-O-D gods before me. You realize it's possible to turn a spouse into a little G-O-D God and say, I'm looking to that, I'm looking to my spouse to be my source of security. I'm looking to my spouse to make me feel safe and secure and satisfied. And the moment you are doing that and you are looking to them above looking to God, it's idolatry. We do this with our children. We do this with our bank accounts. Sometimes we do it with our possessions. We say, I'm looking to these things to give me a sense of what only God can ultimately give me. But I want to remind you today that God alone is the source of life and freedom. All right, let's keep reading. Notice what it says in verse number three and four. Yes, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't let anything in your life get prioritized over God. God is the ultimate source of joy. He is the ultimate source of happiness. He alone is the source of satisfaction and significance. And the moment we take something else and place it above God and we say, no, yes, I want God to make me happy. I want God to make me satisfied. I want God to give me a sense of contentment. But I also need my spouse or I need my bank account or my boss to be that. Can I say this, that you can actually have peace regardless of what's happening around you, but that's only possible when you have God in his rightful place. It's sad to say, but most Christians serve more than one God. They do. Many of us in this room serve a multiplicity of gods, little G-O-D. It's just a fact. So how do you know? Because your pastor often struggles with serving other gods. I do. You see, this heart of mine is an idol-making factory. <laughs> and the moment my heart and God's grace crushes one idol in my heart, it's amazing how my flesh wants to build up another one. And if I struggle with it, and God's word says we struggle with it, the reality is even in a church like ours, there are good Christians 
who are looking to things other than God to provide them ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment, ultimate security. And yes, we want God to provide those things plus our spouse, plus our bank account, plus our home, plus the possessions we have. We, we want all of it to make us feel safe, secure, and significant. But can I ask you this? If it was just God, and you were in a situation like Job, where God in his sovereignty allowed all those other things to be taken away, finances, the relationships, the money, could you still be at rest? Could you still be at peace? Could you still have joy? And if your answer to that question is, I don't know, that might be an indicator that there's idolatry in your heart. That you are worshiping other gods. You have placed something, an idea, a thing, or a person above God and say, I need that thing to provide me what ultimately only God can bring. Notice, the Bible says in Ezekiel 14, verse 3, this is good. Notice what it says. It says, these men have set up idols in their heart. You see, modern idolatry doesn't look like ancient idolatry. Ancient idolatry looked like golden statues. Ancient idolatry looked like bronze-looking carvings. Wooden, you know, kind of, you know, these, like, we've seen these totem poles, you know, that people would bow down before. That's not necessarily what modern idolatry looks like. Modern idolatry looks more like this. It's where people, Christians, set up idols in their heart. It's unseen. And that's why our churches are filled with them. Because most Christians walking around aren't even aware that idolatry exists, that they are breaking this first and primary commandment of having other gods before the true and living God. So this leads us here to our second thought, all right? Not only is God the source of life and freedom, we see that in verse number two, but I want you to see in verse number three and four, to put something or someone in the place of God is idolatry. You are looking to someone or something else to be your ultimate source of satisfaction, your ultimate source of security, your ultimate source of significance. If that is happening in the posture of your heart, then this first commandment is being broken. And this is why the other nine commandments, this is why they get broken, is because we don't get this one right. And when we get this one right, it's amazing how the others take care of themselves. When we're saying God and God alone is my source of satisfaction and significance. Here's what Romans chapter number one says. Verse number 25. It says, these changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That is to say, there are those of us who worship the gifts that God gives more than the giver of the gifts. We find our satisfaction and our significance and our security and we find all this that our soul yearns for and craves for. We find that in the things God gives rather than the essence of who God is. 
And that's when idolatry happens. And that's when our world falls apart. You say, why are we, why are we even talking about this? Because it will be impossible for you to find peace if your heart is wrecked by idolatry. You won't. You will look to a thousand things smaller than God to give you this peace and you will not find it anywhere. And that's why this is so vital. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil will dangle thing after thing after thing. Relationship after relationship after relationship. Possession after possession after possession. And your heart will yearn for it and crave for it and chase after it. And every single time it'll find you wanting more. Why? Because nothing in the creation can satisfy. Only the creator can satisfy. And that's why God says, hey, don't have any other gods before me. It doesn't work out well for you we have a world of people craving and chasing after things that'll never satisfy and God says I love you too much to let you spend your entire life chasing after something that won't give you what you want in every human being, there's a God-shaped hole that only God can satisfy, that only God can fulfill, that only God can provide contentment with. And so as believers, we need to come to a place where we say, you know what, thank God for his gifts. Thank God for his blessings. But I'm never going to prioritize those things above God himself. Because God is ultimately what my soul yearns for and longs for. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anchor my source of significance. I'm going to look for those things in him and him alone. I, I jotted this down. I think that we may or may not put this on the screen. But idolatry, as a definition, is an attempt to get from the creation what you were only ever meant to get from the creator. That, that's a simple working definition of idolatry. Seeking to get from creation, the, the possessions in this world, the things in this world, the people in this world. When we are seeking to get something from the creation that we were only ever meant to get from the creator. You say, what are those things? We've been talking about them. Satisfaction. Ultimate fulfillment. Ultimate contentment. Ultimate security. Maybe you're here right now and you're so desperately wanting to have that person in your life make you feel safe. You want that person in your life to make you feel secure, ultimately. You want them to make you feel like everything's going to be okay. Can I say this? It's a wonderful thing when God's grace works through another human being and helps you feel safe and secure. But ultimately, your focus needs to be on God and say, God, regardless of what my spouse does, regardless of what my kids do, regardless of what my boss does or my friends do, the reality is, man, it's a wonderful thing when you pour out grace through those relationships and make me feel warm and comfortable and fuzzy and cozy and good. That's a great thing. But even if they don't, I still have everything I need to feel safe and secure in you. And when that's not the posture of our heart, we're leaning into idolatry. So how do we know? Let me give you a list of, I'm going to just give you a kind of maybe five or six statements to think about, maybe questions. I want you to jot these down because we don't have time to do these now. But if you'll jot these down, how do we know when there is idolatry in our hearts, right? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. How do we even know what's going on in our hearts? 
So how do we know? Here's some questions that we can, we can we're like, this, like, like David said, search me, oh God, know me, try my heart, see if there be there in that, those wicked ways in me. I want, to, I want you to ask these questions to, to try to discern whether or not idolatry exists in your heart. Here's a couple of real practical questions. This is where we're just going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, all right? I know we've been talking in this kind of theological, ethereal way, but let's get real practical with it for a moment. Number one, a couple questions. What do you feel like you have to have to be happy? Ask yourself that question. What do I have to have in order to be happy? What gets on the list? And you're like, if I don't have that, I can't be happy. I want you to make a list. What are those things that are like these ultimate things? I, I, ugh, I cannot be happy without this. Okay? There should be a few things maybe that come to mind. This is question number two. Is there something that regularly tends to consume your thoughts and your time? It comes up again and again and again, just on a real regular basis. It's like always rattling in your head and your subconscious thoughts, your conscious thoughts. It's just always kind of there all the time. I'm not saying these are things that are idolatry, but these are ways to help us discern whether what things might be idolatry. Something that consumes your thoughts all the time. Question number three. Is there something in your life that regularly causes you to neglect other important aspects of your life? That's a good question. Is there something in your life that regularly causes you to neglect other important aspects of your life? And on a regular basis, like, why, why, is, this always, why is this always coming in between me and this? These are good questions to ask ourselves. Here's, a, here's another question. What do you stress out about, worry about, or get depressed about on a regular basis? What do you stress out about, worry about, or get depressed about on a regular basis? We're just trying to figure out what, wh where might idolatry exist in our heart? Because our hearts are deceitful, and most of us, myself included, we sit in a sermon like this and be like, eh, I don't think I, I, don't think I struggle with idolatry. And I'm just going to say, I, I've been, in, been a senior pastor since like 2001. I've seen this enough. It exists in churches in droves. And we've got to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves these questions. Here's another question. What has some of the biggest influence on the way you feel and think about yourself? What influences the way you view and feel about yourself? Is there someone who can either always make you feel good or always make you feel horrible? Have you noticed that it's really hard for you to have a total stranger make you feel like utterly despicable and horrible? It's usually those closest to us that can make us feel really bad. And one of the reasons for that is sometimes we get an unhealthy attachment to even those people who are close to us. Who, what or who has the biggest influence on the way you feel and think about yourself? Can I say this? God should be the ultimate influence on how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself, not your spouse. God.
God should be the ultimate influence on how you see yourself, you view yourself and feel about yourself, not how much money you have in a bank account. And I know men and they're like, man, they're feeling really good when they got this much money and they got this much going on. I feel good about myself or when the job's going really well and they're getting the promotions. And man, it's just like that, how I'm doing in my career has an ultimate influence on how I view myself or how I feel about myself. And when I'm successful at my career or I'm successful at my work, that ultimately influences how I view myself, how I feel about myself. Can I say this? These are questions that if we'll be honest with will give us just real insight into potential things that might be idols in our heart. Let me give you another question. What would you have an extremely hard time giving up? What would you have an extreme... I'm not saying that these are idols. These are questions that you can ask yourself that will help you discern whether or not there is an idol in your heart, all right? So the answer to any one of these questions doesn't automatically mean it's an idol, but these are good questions to be asking to allow the Holy Spirit to show us whether or not there is idolatry. What would you have a hard time giving up for a while? Next. Here's another question that might give you some insight. What do you escape to when you have a hard time in life? What do you escape to when you're going through difficult times? It's a good question. What do you run to? Maybe it's something people know about. Maybe it's something people don't know about. What do you tend to run to? Here's a, here's a last question, just because this is just real practical. What could you not live without? So I couldn't live without that. Couldn't live without it might be a sign, might be an indicator that that's an idol. Now, if you're serious about this and you take that list and you're honest with yourself and you allow the Holy Spirit to be honest with you, if you go through that list and there's like a one thing that emerges again and again and again and again through each of these questions, because some of these questions might have three or four answers, and there's like this common denominator through several of them, you might want to get alone with God and say, God, is this an idol? Is this something that I have prioritized above you? Am I looking to this person or this thing or this idea to give me an ultimate sense of satisfaction in life? an ultimate sense of feeling secure and safe and comfortable in this world? Am I looking to this thing or this person to make me feel significant and have my self-esteem and my self-worth bolstered by those things? You say, why is this important to flesh this out? Because the moment you have an idol, if there's an idol in your heart, man, you just want to say, God, would you crush it? And it'll hurt for a minute. I promise you it'll hurt bad when God's crushing an idol hurts extremely bad. But ultimately, when the idols of your heart are crushed, joy and peace and love come flooding in. This is what's awesome, because you have been rid of the illusion that you need something other than God to make you happy. And this is the ploy of the enemy. 
The enemy wants you to say, no, you need a bigger house and cooler cars and more vacations and lots more money and your spouse to act like this and your kids to act like that and your boss to do this. And the enemy wants you to think there are a thousand things that need to go just a certain way for you to be okay. And God's saying, no, this is what I've given you. I'm giving you abundant life. This is regardless of what's happening in the physical realm, regardless of what's happening around you, regardless of your situation, regardless of what you have in the bank account, regardless of who you're married to or what your kids are doing, you can have peace flood through you and joy flood through you and love flow through you and in you. And God says that's the ultimate promise of the life I make available is that you don't need anything other than me to have enough. And it's God saying, I am enough for you. And the enemy, all the enemy wants you to do is convince yourself that you need Jesus plus one more thing. And as long as he can convince you of that, he's got you. As long as he can convince you that you need Jesus plus more money, Jesus plus your spouse to obey a certain way, Jesus plus your boss to do this, Jesus plus this possession, then he's robbed you of your birthright. The birthright that says, you know what? No. I am worthy of joy and peace and love and hope not because of what I have or because of what I do, but because I'm a child of the king. That and that alone. And I'm telling you what, the believer who gets rid of the idolatry in their heart, guess what? They don't need things to go a certain way, to have joy, to have a sense of peace, to feel love and demonstrate love. It just flows. It just flows through the life of those who don't have any other gods before him. It just flows. It just happens. It's just organic. It's just natural. And I'm telling you what, that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place to be living. And that's the promise that God has for you. In 2013, we were going through a difficult season. Some of you might have been here at the church during that time. It was just a real tumultuous time. Those of you who are maybe leaders, and I see Brother Red was walking through us, with us through some of those seasons. Some of you others had, have been there through that time. I was going through a time in my life, personally, our church was going through some things where God was exposing to me how I had literally, it sounds, it sounds crazy, but I had literally allowed ministry to become an idol in my heart. And I don't know that God allowed everything our church went through in that season because of my idolatry, but I will say this, what our church went through through that season did expose idolatry in my heart. During that time, we had several families leaving the church, writing me letters and emails, telling me how horrible I was and what our church was, how awful it was. And we were changing facilities and moving into another building. We were going through some methodological shifts as a church family. And through that time, there were just people who typing me emails and they'd send me messages and they'd say, you're a horrible pastor and you're, you're awful and this is, this is terrible and all these things. And, and for about a year, I had to wrestle through, like, God, why, why are you allowing this to happen and through that season God started to expose to my heart that I was looking to the, to the, the if we want to call it this my calling in ministry and how quote unquote successful I was at, you know with our church and leading our church and being what I should be in that situation and I was looking to that and somehow over time this authentic genuine calling that God had put on my life I had let it creep to a place before I knew it 
ministry had become an idol. And now instead of looking to God alone to be my source of satisfaction, and God alone to be my source of what made me feel safe and comfortable in my soul, I wanted God plus a successful ministry to feel those things. And that year, God brought just the hammer of grace down upon my life, and it was terribly, terribly painful. And again and again and again, he was trying to crush that idol. Not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with ministry. Ministry is a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. But I had allowed that calling to get elevated above God. And in my spirit, I'd get a little, ugh, just there was a little angst in my spirit when things didn't go the way I wanted them to go. And there'd be anxiety around things that there shouldn't have been anxiety around. And there'd be frustration about this or that. And God just, through that year, just again and again and again, began to crush that idol because I was looking to the ministry to provide me my sense of worth, my sense of security my sense of satisfaction. And God knew that the only way to deliver me from that was to crush that in my soul. And man, for that year, man, it was painful. I remember for that year working with a, a Christian counselor to help me kind of work through what God was doing in my heart and my life. Like, why does this hurt so bad? I remember my counselor telling me, it's because you are struggling with idolatry. The reason I share that story is to say I struggle with it. It might be that you struggle with it. And the answer is not always to get rid of the thing that has become an idol. Because remember what we said at the beginning of the service. An idol is usually a good thing that has been elevated to a God thing. And the answer is not always to get rid of of that intrinsic thing. Rather, the goal is to put it in its proper place. If your child has become an idol in your life, the, the, we're not telling you to put your kid up for adoption. <laughs> if your spouse has become an idol in your life, the, the goal is not to get a divorce. If money has become an idol, I don't know necessarily that you have to give it all away. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do, but maybe not. What God is calling you to do is to get a healthy relationship with those things and allow those things to get put in their proper place. If your career or your job or your ministry has become an idol, that's not to say, I'm going to get rid of it. It's to say, I'm going to allow that thing to get put into its proper place and to put it in its proper relationship. Here's what Psalms chapter number 17, verse 15 says, and we're wrapping it up. As for me, as for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. And when I awake, I will be satisfied with your likeness. I'll be satisfied with you. I love this. You know what's supposed to be our ultimate satisfaction in life? God. 
If you wake up and you have no money in the bank, if God's with you, you can be satisfied. If you wake up and your spouse leaves you, the reality is with God, you can still be satisfied. The reality is with God, you have enough. He's enough. He's enough. Thou shall have no other gods, little G-O-D, before me. Have you placed another little G-O-D God above the true and living God in your heart, in your soul, and in your life? And if you have, surrender it. Say, God, you can crush it. And I know it'll hurt. And I know it'll be a little bit painful, but I know you'll be doing it for my good. So here's the takeaway and we're done. Here's the takeaway. Seek your ultimate satisfaction in the Savior. Seek your ultimate satisfaction in the Savior.